Hi everybody, welcome back to the Irish NFL show uh, in partnership with Punda Arena, joined by the usual team today along with a special guest, a former NFL quarterback from the 1998 NFL draft, Ryan Leaf. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong there, 1998, but a huge pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, great to have you on, Ryan. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Before we get started, Ryan, have you any, have you any like Irish heritage or, any, or have you any... Uh, history to to this island or yeah i do uh leaf is uh leaf has a little irish uh uh to it um most of my uh family origin is kind of eastern european but i i my grandfather told me that we have some uh we have a bit a wee bit irish in us so i i, I tend to use <laughs> the leaf side of it um when we talk about uh, the irish quite a bit brilliant as you can see here lads we're joined by the usual team column i'll start with you welcome in yeah, great to have the opportunity to to chat to you, Ryan. Um, I suppose as Michael was saying earlier, we had um, Jim Kelly on the show, and he famously turned down the opportunity to to play linebacker at Penn State um, to to go on to to be a QB in Miami, but. You were at one point considering or there was talk that you might play uh, linebacker um, in Miami yourself. Uh, and then you get the, the phone call from Mike Price. Um, is that an urban legend or is there truth to that story? And, and if, if it is true, can you talk us through what that phone call was like? Uh, it's a bit of an urban legend. Uh, Dennis Erickson was the head coach at Miami at the time. He had some uh, connections to where I was from in Montana. And while I was there, he, he, he talked to me about how the recruiting coordinator saw me more as a, as a kind of a tight end linebacker type rather than quarterback. I think they were thinking more of a tight end for me. I never really played linebacker. I played some safety in, in high school. But uh, uh, I, I had always played quarterback, and that was my dream. And so I was very grateful that, that Coach Erickson was honest with me about that and said that's what they were looking at. It made it really a lot easier when uh, when Mike Price or any of the other coaches called and said, hey, we'd like to offer you a scholarship uh, to play quarterback for us. Um, it was an easier choice. Ryan, when you um, watch the coverage leading up to the draft in this day and age, the hype, the build-up, part of the draft, NFL Network, how do you compare it to the hype back in 98? Would you recognize everything that was going on in the background building up to that day? and where you disappointed? At the time, sorry. At the at the time, it felt like uh, what it does now because it was all about you, right? So when you're in that moment, you're like your narcissistic personality takes over. And you're like, this is all about me. Everything that everybody's talking about is about me. And I suspect that's similar to what these guys are feeling uh, at, at the moment before the draft nowadays. Um, it's just on a bigger scale, right? It's just uh, unbelievable. Uh, the numbers they do in terms of viewership uh, for really just an, an, an elderly gentleman reading names, which is kind of crazy, but, uh, but it's true. Um, the draft is all about you and you have to go from playing a team sport to signing with an agent and trying to put yourself in the best possible position to get drafted as high as you can and make it all about you to hopefully going back to it being a team sport, making it about it being a team. And some guys are able to do that uh, and make that transition much easier than, than others. I, I had trouble with it. I, I went from playing a, a consummate team game to making it all about you. And then I continued to kind of make it all about me rather than 
than being about the team. And that was a, a big part of my downfall. And in terms of your expectation on that particular day, did you feel somewhat disappointed that you didn't go number one or were you, you know, just happy with the fact that you were in the top five, obviously? No, uh, we were kind of positioning ourselves to be the number two pick. We kind of looked at it as pick one A and one B. And in yeah. in our thought process is wouldn't a wouldn't a beach house in San Diego with the surf, <laughs> the money, and the women be better than <laughs> than Midwest winters in, in Indianapolis? We weren't we weren't necessarily thinking about the right things and knowing that Marshall Falk and Marvin Harrison were sitting in on the roster in Indianapolis, but uh um, we were okay with it. You know, I had family on the West coast. Uh, you know, I, I liked the idea of, of, of being a beach bum playing, playing pro football the rest of my life. So we were okay with it. Well, Brian, it, it certainly looks a lot warmer where you are than Dublin is at the moment anyway. So, you know, the beach decision we can understand. Um, just going back, I mean, cause obviously a lot of what transcends and the rest of your life starts a little bit from the external view with that 98 draft and like you had a great college year in 97 you ended up finally finishing third in the Heisman voting that year Charles Woodson only defensive player to ever win it Peyton Manning came second yeah he turned out okay uh, and then you were third in the Heisman and then you declared only after that I think if I remember correctly only then did you declare for the draft and you know, you foregoed, you, you forego, yeah, foregoed your senior year in college. That particular decision not to go back for your senior year and maybe go for the draft in 99, do you ever reflect on that particular part of the decision? Yeah, definitely. You know, college was the greatest time of my life. You know, my friends, the innocence of football before it was a job. And, um, you know, we had accomplished so much. We had done something that hadn't been done in 67 years at that university. And that's go to a Rose Bowl to win a Pac-10 championship. And there were, we were losing 28 seniors. Uh, it was going to be really difficult for us to duplicate. Um, and I was going to either be drafted first or second. So I thought it was the, the logical next step. You know, being able to reflect on everything and where my maturity level was and all of that and, and not having failed much. Uh, it probably would have been the best thing for me to do is to come back, get more educated, get more experience and to deal with failure because we were going to struggle and it was going to take a lot for us to get back to a bowl game and be competitive that next year. So I, I think it would have been beneficial for me and it probably would have been the smartest thing to do. But, you know, when you have all that money dangled in front of you, that was going to change your life and and you you got the chance to live your dream, which was to play NFL football. I mean, how do you say no to that? Um, it, it's, it was really, it was an easy decision. And in, in retrospect, looking back on it, I'm, you know, it's something that I regret that I didn't go back and not only play for Mike Price for another year, but, but spend another year in college at what I consider the greatest, you know, university there is. And, and yeah. And it's, actually, it's funny because, sorry, sorry, Mark. I was just going to say one follow-up, just something you said there. When you signed that contract, I'm just curious on this, when you signed that contract and you basically secured your family's financial future, is it relief or is it pressure? Because you are also this high pick in the draft. I'm just curious. Well, you don't think of it. You don't, you don't think it's pressure. You think it's what it's supposed to be. Like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm just going to go and do what I've always done. And that's play well. And we're going to win. When that doesn't happen, like when that doesn't happen which you're so accustomed to to having play out that's where the 
the issues take place. Either you're prepared to deal with failure in a positive and healthy way, or you're not. And I clearly, I clearly wasn't. And there are a lot of elite athletes that get to that level because there are what people consider busts that happen year in, year out uh, at every level of professional football, professional basketball, whatever you may. Um, it's about how you deal with failure and adversity, period. You know, life, is, life is not fair just because you're a pro football player. And uh, I think for the longest time, I, I, I played the victim role. Like I asked for this, right? I asked for the pressure, the stress uh, to play a child's game and make a bunch of money doing it. So I don't, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for those that, that complain about pressure and stress because you don't have to do this. You don't, you can choose to do whatever you want. Um, and and it, it, it's a privilege, you know, it's not a right. That's for sure. I was going to ask something along the same, but I'll, I'll ask a different thing now, Ryan. You know, trying to explain to somebody in Ireland about the NFL draft itself, forget about the process, is a whole, like, if, the, if they're not into the NFL, oh, they haven't got a clue, because over here we don't have the same college football thing. So, you know, what would, you know, going from that college experience to the NFL experience, and even before you took a snap in the NFL, what was that day like when, when you were drafted? Obviously, now going back in history, you know, yourself and Peyton Manning in, in, in the first two picks in that draft. If you were sitting there now, you know, what was that day like waiting for that call? It's, it's, it's the, one of the greatest days of my life, you know, regardless of, of outcome um, with my family. I mean, we, I'd worked so hard, right, since I was also I'm from Great Falls, Montana. So I'm from uh, a very small town in a, in a very small populated state there's there's never been a montanan drafted in the first round of the nfl draft i'm the only one there are more first round draft picks in the manning family than the whole state of montana ever so there's no trailblazer right i didn't i was never supposed to be there ever the odds were so stacked against me one in a billion i don't know what what the odds were but i was not supposed to be where i was at so it was one of the coolest days I've ever got to experience. And I'll always, always look back on it fondly as something unbelievably special that I got to share with my parents who sacrificed a ton for their son to, to be in that position and uh, to celebrate and be with my you know, larger family, my, my aunts and uncles and cousins, my grandparents, my brothers, everybody who had at some point along the way supported me and helped me get to where I was at. And Ryan, I suppose building on that, as you said, the, the only Montana to go in the, the first round, right? Um, you were young, you're a young man. And again, so, some of this, the stories that um, is that um, the day after getting picked, you get to fly on the, the owner's plane to go party in Vegas, which is I mean, look, any of us, I think, would, would love to do that. But I suppose, you know, we, we've talked about the, 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 the pressure on or, and, and the responsibility of the individual. You know, I suppose looking at the, the Chargers obviously really wanted um, you as, as a QB. But do you think maybe there could be learnings for the organization as well in terms of how they approach when they've just drafted somebody, there's all of that excitement and they, they facilitate going partying in Vegas. Could, could, there ha could, could it have been, if, if they had taken a different approach to handling that, would it have been different for you, do you think? 
who knows? I mean, if, if I, if I would have went and played uh, like, you know, Josh Allen's playing uh, in his career, no one would have cared, but because I played so poorly and behaved so poorly, it's one of those things you can go back on and look at and go, Oh, that should have been a, a red flag. Well, you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily because people can have fun and enjoy themselves and still be very good at what they do. Um, I just wasn't, I just didn't perform. Right. Um, it's always, the hindsight is always 2020 when, when you can look at somebody who's messed up on what you could have done differently. Now I understand. Yes. When you were drafted as the franchise quarterback in the first round by an NFL franchise, you, you essentially become the CEO of a fortune 500 company and you have to act that way. That would have been a different approach on my part, but I will say this, all my uncles, my dad, all my friends, we all met in Vegas uh, that night and we had the best time. So I remember that night and I remember how special it was to share it with my family and friends. So I don't look back on it as a negative. Now, how I behaved from that point on when things went poorly for me in San Diego is a different story, but I don't regret uh, that night and, and celebrating with my family and my friends uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity um, for any Montanan. That kind of brings us to the next question. So you fast forward a couple of months, um, you've done your training camp, the season starts, starts off well, you've won your first two games, tour game in, you have a disappointing result against the Chiefs and from there it kind of spirals to a certain extent in terms of four defeats, you didn't play too well thereafter. Can you remember what your mindset was like throughout that season? Well, I didn't play very good at, at all. I, I won my first two starts, but I didn't necessarily play very well. We had a great kicker and an awesome defense. Um, but the game against Kansas City, I was in the hospital all week with a staph infection, and I tried to play. And I played poorly, really poorly. Worst game I've ever played in my life. But it wasn't about how I played. It was how I reacted to how I played because of the criticism from the media and others. It was how I reacted. Um, I don't remember another positive thing happening to me uh, in my time in the NFL after that, which is crazy to think that you've worked so hard for everything that it can come down to one instance, one uh, uh, behavior, one outburst that ultimately uh, has enough ripple effect and consequence that can end your career. And it just shows that to my point, uh, the NFL is a privilege. It's not a right. I, just because I was talented uh, and I was famous doesn't mean anything. If you cannot contribute and be productive on a week-to-week -week basis, not only physically on the football field, but mentally uh, from Sunday to Sunday, your ass is going to be out on the, on, the, on the cement. And that's exactly what happened. Can I just ask one more question on that? When you say the ripple effect, what was the mindset within, internally within within the charges from Duffus, how were they reacting to everything that was going on? It was on a defensive time? one, right? I, I, I felt like, where, why weren't they backing me? Uh, I, I, I thought I was the victim. I took no accountability. Uh, my teammates tried to help and I thought they were being critical. Um, I pushed them away. I was, I was about uh, 
know, I was like Hiroshima to, to the Chargers. I just absolutely was a nuclear bomb in that locker room that wasn't helping anybody or anything because I thought I was right and I thought I was more important. And, uh, um, you know, good on them. You know, they ushered me out after my third season. If, if, if I had been in their shoes uh, and, and I saw this writing on the wall, it would have happened much sooner like we, we saw the Dwayne Haskins situation happen uh, this week. Yeah, I, I was actually going to allude to that, Ryan. I mean, this is one of the things in Europe where we find, you know, casual fans or people new to the NFL can't understand the idea of the draft with effectively a multi-million dollar interview process for kids, you know, just straight out of college and things like that. I mean, the, the pressure of that is, is something else. And you rightly allude to Haskins, obviously, um, will have to rebuild his career like Josh Rosen is trying to do. And this can happen in, in certain circumstances. But you also alluded to the team dynamic there in the Chargers. And, you know, when you look back at that team, there were some amazing players on that team. Junior Seau was a teammate of yours there. Rodney Harrison. Um, and I'm, I'm a Pats fan, so I have some fond memories of Rodney. But I can imagine they were challenging individuals to work with as part of the team they're very very demanding as well i'm wondering how much of that helped or hindered and is there any kind of standout recollections you have of that good good bad or indifferent uh, of the engagements with those types of players well I, they were great teammates i mean they're consummate pros and what i should have done is just kind of been like a lost puppy and put my nose right at their rear end and followed them around on on what to do and how to do it instead i just um, I thought I was more important, right? And they tried to help. Uh, they went to our general manager, Bobby Bethard, many times and were just like, I don't know what to do. This guy is just, he's killing us. And I was. I mean, there's nothing more um, I can say about it other than um, I was absolutely a, a, a terrible teammate and a screw up. I just, I had gotten to a place um, in high school and college, when I was cornered or backed into a, a situation, I fought my way out and I could play well enough to overcome all my shortcomings when it came to my behavior. The NFL, you can't. I mean, there's 32 of us in the world, right? And probably only a handful of them each year that are great, that are, are what can be considered great quarterbacks. If you don't have it between the ears, uh, on, on how to deal with failure and accountability and not taking yourself seriously, you are, you are gone. You don't have a chance. And my teammates tried to help. They did. The organization tried to help. Everybody tried to help. I just, if you're not willing to surrender and accept help, you're not going to take it. Yeah. And just talking about and then maybe talking about the next direction, Ryan, I am gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say I was watching your draft in 1990. I was born in 1991, so I'm in that new generation of NFL fans. You know, that's like the whole London thing. I've only been a fan for 12, 13 years. So for me, it's fascinating to look back at that draft and maybe the few drafts before and see the journey of players and watch games in, in the offseason. But you know, you go from uh, you know, a couple of years at the Chargers, you know, you've got the Seahawks, the Cowboys, and then at 26 your career is pretty much done maybe for people that are in europe and maybe a little bit younger maybe in my age group or maybe even younger than that there what did you do after football you know how did you you know how did you operate once you left the game in that sense up, up until now 
I thought I would be fine. You know, uh, I was under this falsehood that, that success was money, power, and prestige. And I had what I considered all three. I had all this money you can imagine the power that came with that money and the prestige may, may be a little tarnished now, but former NFL quarterback still, you know, get you a free pint at the pub. Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the mindset I was in. I didn't understand how like emotionally and mentally corrupted my brain was um, with dealing with failure and being criticized and people being critical of me as one of the biggest busts ever. Psychologically, I was, I, I didn't realize how much I was going to struggle with that. And sure enough, after retiring or quitting, um, I was introduced to Vicodin, which was a, an opiate painkiller that I was given when I had my multiple surgeries from playing pro sports. And uh, I was in pain. I just didn't realize it. I was in this emotional pain. Um, and so I started to self-medicate with a drug that I knew worked, right? When I was in physical pain, this drug worked. And so I started taking it and it worked, right? I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel less than, I didn't feel judged. And I had been searching for that for so long. I felt so miserable. And I thought this was just going to be my life. I just didn't have to feel anything anymore. And I think I'd been searching for that for a long time. And that's, that started probably three or four months after I had retired from the NFL when I was around 26, 27 years old. And it continued until I was about, you know, 35, uh, where I was just a, a raging uh, drug addict uh, and became a criminal uh, back in my hometown until it ultimately landed me in prison because of it, because of my poor choices and poor decisions. And I think it just adds to the lore of me being a bust at the NFL level, right? It just continued to spiral and I allowed it to infect my whole life and everybody around me until I put myself in a position where I couldn't, either I had to choose to, to, to surrender and get help and get better, or I was just going to, you know, end up at the bottom. And uh, luckily for me, um, you know, I, I had that uh, man in the mirror moment where somebody showed me who, who I was, how I was behaving and how I needed to fix it. Brian, did you want to jump in? You, I know you had a question that I thought might, might fit well here. Yeah, sorry. It's more around the NFL today, taking away from all the disappointment you, you've discussed this evening. When you watch the NFL today and you watch the draft, is there any one particular quarterback in the last couple of years that's come out and you look at their attributes and you think he just reminds you of the player you were coming into the, coming in to the league? I mean, Josh Allen, really, you know, his physicality, uh, Justin Herbert, um, you know, six foot six, 230 pounds. That's, that was me, right. With the, with a rocket arm. Um, you know, I probably was one of the most talented, uh, athletically gifted players drafted in the last, you know, 20 years. Um, but it, there's a ton of those, you know, there's a ton of guys with talent. Any guy who's drafted has, uh, otherworldly talent. It, it's what you really do from Sunday to Sunday, how you get better, better. You're willing to accept that. Like, I'm not the best player. I can improve. I need to improve. I need to learn more. So um, that's, 
that's been really evident every single year when there's a guy that steps up to the plate that you're like, oh, he's he's got all the intangibles, he's physical. Let's see what he does with it, right? Let's see what he how he takes uh, uh, coaching, how he takes uh, his failures, all of those things. Can I can I ask you then about Josh Rosen, for example? So he was obviously moved away from the Cardinals, not because of maybe him himself, more so because Carla Murray was such a good quarterback coming out of the draft and they made a decision to go that way. He moves up to Miami, didn't work out. He's on the practice squad then with the Tampa Bay with the Bucks, and then he's now because of injuries on the practice squad in San Francisco. Like I, at the time, I felt he was a talented quarterback. I don't know necessarily whether he's a bad person around the, the facilities. It just doesn't seem to be working for him. He hasn't gotten a chance. You know, he hasn't yeah. gotten a chance at all. Cardinals knew what they were doing. They were firing their head coach. They were bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, who if you get a chance to bring in a quarterback that runs your offense and who's as dynamic as Kyler Murray, you're going to do it. Then he gets to Miami and they don't give him a chance there really, you know, and they have a top five draft pick and they're going to take a quarterback and two is the next guy in line. So he has just not been given an opportunity. And now when you're a great player, uh, you'll get found out as a great player. Justin Herbert is an example of that, right? He wasn't going to be the starter. In fact, if Tyro Taylor does not get shot with an injection into his lung, you know, we, we may not even know how great Justin Herbert is, right? Yeah. That doctor's on a huge bonus this year. I'd say. Well, San Diego chargers, LA chargers doctors aren't, aren't the best in the world. As a Broncos fan, and as Colin was a Broncos fan here as well, you know, it's just great that we've got Herbert now, and we've also got Mahomes in the same division as well, so it's just fantastic. But, Mark, sorry. It's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough time. That, that division is, is stacked um, uh, at the quarterback position. I mean, but, but since, my, since I left the Chargers, they've been stacked at the quarterback position anyway, right? I mean, they went from me to Flutie to Breeze to Phillip Rivers, and now Justin Herbert. The quarterback hasn't been the problem in San Diego and Los Angeles when it comes to the Chargers, that's for sure. Yeah, they've, they've definitely been on a great run, but I'm, I'm, I'm amused almost about your comment about the doctors because they obviously had a bad spate of injuries for a while there. And yeah, certainly uh, Tyrod Taylor in the Justin Herbert situation this year is one of the more bizarre instances in uh, the NFL history. But if you don't mind, Ryan, I suppose changing gears a little bit away from the NFL, I, I recall a famous, um, actually, uh, one thing about you, the famous Sports Illustrated cover, where I think you'd come back from your second season was lost to injury, and your third season you'd had a good training camp, and there was a big build-up about your back from the brink. Um, now, it didn't work out in your professional career, but certainly personally, and hearing you reflect kind of so maturely and honestly, I think, on your experiences as a very young guy and obviously your, your challenges personally in the last period of time, you sound like you are like back from the brink. You're at a you know, much more advanced stage of your uh, life. And, you know, you're, you're engaged now really heavily in college football. You still got great love for that. You're still engaged in radio, uh, a lot of radio work on college football and around these things. I mean, maybe if you tell us a bit about that and about how you found that, that Zen, that inner Zen and the enjoyment back of the game at the college level. Well, I mean, football gave me everything. You know, for a long time, it was toxic. And that was all me. That had nothing to do with football. It's how I viewed football. But football gave me everything. It gave me friends. It gave me uh, 
a career. It gave me a purpose, an identity, all, all of that. Um, so, you know, being a part of it as an analyst is, it, it was just natural. And I really enjoy it. Um, I love being on the radio. I love talking about college football. Um, it's, it's a big part of what, what, my, what my days are these days. And, and I enjoy that. Uh, I'm hoping to be more involved on the NFL side of things, especially leading into the draft, just because of my experiences. Uh, I, you know, I don't ever want anybody else to be the next biggest bust ever. I don't want to be replaced because I know how difficult that is to live with, A, and I just I want people to be successful. I want them, I want to enjoy watching players play on Sundays and be successful at the quarterback position. It just it tickles my heart when that when that happens. I don't I don't need anybody to take my my mantle or that my trophy away of, of the biggest bust ever in draft history because I don't I don't what other people think of me is none of my business. I don't care. And I think that's that's where I had to get to. I had to get to a place where it didn't matter what other people thought. In fact, I could be incredibly self-deprecating around it because you know, I am who I am. The guy I see in the mirror is, is the guy I know. Uh, and he's a dad now. And he's a 44-year-old man. You know, football is not uh, not even in my uh, vocabulary in terms of what I can do physically. I'm not Tom Brady. Um, and he may be the only one that exists that could play at our age right now. Um, I, I, I get out of bed and I and I strain my calf. That's, that's just, you know, what us... 40 year olds have to deal with. So I think it's just a, a realization of, of uh, what most people do in maturity, probably in their early 20s, uh, mid 20s, they kind of just figure out who they are. Uh, and they're okay with that. And it's good enough. And what's really changed for me is, is the being, ser- being of service aspect, to be of service to another human being. I don't think I ever did that. And once I started doing that, uh, making it about somebody else rather than myself, that's when my perspective shifted and it's going to have to be the foundation of who I am moving forward. Otherwise I'll just go back to being kind of that, that asshole I always was. Um, and, and when I make it about somebody else, you know, I, I, I can't think of, think of myself as much when I'm trying to be helpful to somebody else and, and, uh, and, and give them everything I can. Right. And um, it's interesting because uh, my final question was actually around the fact that you do have a kind of a wonderful self-deprecating sense of humor and it comes across really well. And I'm just wondering, like, is that something you always had um, or is that something that has developed as you got more comfortable with yourself? Definitely something that I developed. I took things incredibly seriously, uh, way too seriously. You know, there's a there's a meeting I go to, it's called the, uh, uh, the LTFU meeting. And that means light the f- because that's exactly what, what we all need to do, right? We, we can't take things so seriously, especially ourselves. If, we're, if we can't laugh at ourselves, we're, we'll truly never be able to laugh at anything. And I just think laughter is such a contributing factor to mental, mental wellness. Um, Cause when I laugh, I smile and my therapist, when I say things and she can see when I smile, she knows it's, it's, uh, it's something that brings me joy. So, you know, when I, when I poke fun at myself, because people, people really take it seriously. Like when people like call me a bust or something like that, they really think they're doing me harm. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's, I guess being a bust, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool deal. You know, I've got to play in the NFL. So, uh, 
it's usually other people projecting. And I understand that now because I've had a lot of therapy and I've done a lot of work. And so um, I don't take myself very seriously. I take recovery and I take mental illness really seriously. And I focus my intention on that. And then I'm, I'm self-deprecating when it comes to a child's game that, uh, that I got to play. That's, that's kind of where I, I go. And, and, and the, the legal issues in my past, I'm, you know, I, I don't take that incredibly seriously either because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a flawed human being like everybody else. I think that's, that's what makes me so relatable and allows me to travel around the country and speak and, and do work in the mental health uh, platform and, and, and the substance abuse platform and, and, and why I enjoy it so much. And I love to see people get well and have new and exciting and, and well-lived lives. Yeah, right. I, I'm in my forties as well, so I feel the same pain as you. I, <laughs> I, I strain me back taking my child out of cot in the morning. Yeah, I, I made a joke about it the other day. Tom Brady went out and threw four touchdowns in the first half, and uh, that morning I'd gotten up and went for a little hike, and I was like warming up to go on, you know, for my hike because it was a little chilly in the morning, and I tried to do a kind of a quick explosive move with my with my steps, and my right calf just like seized up and strained on me, and I just thought to myself, I'm like what if I was in Detroit right now, like warming up to go play a professional football game against <laughs> NFL players who were half my age, who were trying to kill me? There's no way I could do it. it he's an amazing, Tom Brady is the most amazing person I can think of because of what he's able to do at 43 years old. Um, it's, it's incredible. And I guess it goes into our last sort of question. And that's it. There's, there's two elements to this one, Ren. Are you still friends with any, you know, is there, is there any current players you're friends with at the minute or maybe speak to or, or former players that you still in touch with? And maybe touching on that Tom Brady thing or touching on the NFL itself, Ren, who's going to win it? Who, who's going to win it all in just over four weeks time in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I mean, I try to. Um, uh, I've kept in touch for, you know, with Peyton Manning for, you know, for 22 years now we've known each other. Uh, and then from time to time, I've been able to bump into and, and, I keep up with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we play golf. We play golf when he's in LA um, in the off season sometimes. And then, you know, my former agent, uh, Lee Steinberg is, is Patrick Mahomes agent. So I've had a chance to interact with Patrick, uh, you know, in the last couple of years and to see him be so successful has been, it's been, been great. I have a hard time seeing how anybody's going to beat the Kansas city chiefs. Um, the Buffalo bills have, are, are peaking at the right time. Uh, they're going to put themselves in a position to play good defense and are explosive on offense. So I think that may be an AFC championship that uh, I would sign up for. And I would probably tip my hat to the Chiefs in that. But if the Bills were to win and go to a Super Bowl, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. I think what Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are doing, and if they are able to solidify home field advantage throughout the playoffs, I really do think Green Bay is going to make it to the, the Super Bowl. And if it's Buffalo or Kansas City versus Green Bay, I think we would all be in for, for a wonderful Super Bowl this year. I'm going to say, because I think it's, uh, um, you know, going against what I think a lot of people think. I think uh, the Buffalo Bills do something incredibly outrageous this year. And they upset the Chiefs, get to the Super Bowl, and do something that no one, no one thought would happen and didn't happen in the four times they went back. I think the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl this year. So 
It's a crazy thought, but it's been a crazy year. Oh, look, you know, Ryan, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that think that Josh Allen's going to lift it at some point. So who knows what's going to happen? As a Broncos fan, it's, it's heartbreaking to watch Josh Allen because he's so good. But I don't want to speak on behalf of all these lads and all the fans over here in Ireland and in Europe, but we, we massively appreciate your time. As somebody that's only really good into the league for 10, 12 years, your, your journey, the way, the way you've explained your life and everything is fantastic. And, and we, we massively appreciate your time, Ryan. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And, uh, um, you know, I wish the best to everybody there over in Ireland and uh, around the world during this, uh, these trying times. And uh, if there's anything I can ever do again, please let me know. Of course. And folks, please check out Ryan on Twitter. Um, at Ryan D. Leaf. He's on loads of radio stuff, college football stuff as well. So please check it out. Ryan, thank you very much, man. Cheers. You bet, guys. Cheers.